You know, like most of you, I love a good story. I love good and compelling stories, and I love powerful and strong and inspiring characters. Uh, I think of the Chronicles of Narnia. There's Aslan the lion who rules with courage and integrity, and people respect him and fear him. In Harry Potter, there's Albus Dumbledore, who's just always so wise and always so compassionate. And as much as I love those characters, the honest truth, though, is that I just have trouble relating to them, honestly. I mean, they, they inspire me, but, you know, I can't really relate to those characters personally. I, I, I mean, just I cannot comprehend what it would be like to have the integrity of Aslan or the wisdom and the gentleness of Dumbledore. I, I just frankly don't see myself in those characters as much as I love them. But in these stories, there are other characters that I do find myself attracted to, not because of their power or their bravery, but because they're ordinary, like me. I relate to them because I can see myself in them. You know, in Narnia, I relate to Lucy and Reepicheep. At, at times, I even relate to Edmund or even Eustace Scrub. In Harry Potter, I can relate to Neville Longbottom and Hagrid and Hermione and Harry. And, you know, well, for obvious reasons, I can relate to the Weasley boys. And I mean, these are characters who I just love because as great as they are, they are flawed. They have moments of bravery and integrity, but they also have moments of failure and embarrassment. And that's honestly why I can relate to them because they're like me. Because, you know, I have moments in my life where I think I do heroic things, but far more often I just feel ordinary. You know, we read the Bible so that we can know more of Jesus. And we read the Bible to see Jesus's character and his integrity and We read the Bible to see what Jesus teaches and how He tells us to live. And we read the Bible to see all the ways that Jesus has accomplished things for us that we could never accomplish for ourselves. I mean, it's clear Jesus is the hero of the Bible. You know, following Jesus can frankly just sometimes feel so impossible because I'm just remi- we're reminded of all the ways where we fall short of being like Him. And on one level, we relate to Jesus because He became like us. But on another level, we struggle to really see how we can ever be really like Him. But in the Bible, there is one person who I do think we can relate to. And it's one of Jesus' disciples. It's a man who was faithful, loyal, bold, sometimes courageous. But he was also impulsive, fearful, cowardly, sometimes violent, and sometimes even bigoted. And his name is the Apostle Peter. And today we're beginning a new sermon series on where we're studying the life of the Apostle Peter. And the story of Peter's life is one of the most relatable stories in all of the Bible. I mean, this is a guy who loves Jesus with his whole heart, and he wants to honor Jesus with his life. But man, he just keeps getting in his own way and tripping over his own feet over and over again. And how many of you feel like that? But yet, God uses Peter in all sorts of powerful ways, even in spite of his failures. You know, if we're wise, we will see that God has a plan for each of us. And even though we stumble and fall, God is never finished with us. And the story of Peter's life shows us that. It shows us that even when we feel like a loser, God still has use for us. And even when we fail, our story is never over because Jesus is never finished with us. When we are faithless, Jesus is faithful still, for He cannot deny Himself. So we begin this study today in the life of Peter by looking first at the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. 
And it says that Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. It means they were done for the day. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. So Jesus is getting into Simon's boat, but Simon is actually Peter. Peter was, or Simon was Peter's original name. Jesus changed it from Simon to Peter. So Jesus gets in Peter's boat and it says that he asked him to put out a little from land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus gets into Peter's boat, pushes it a little offshore and begins teaching the people. This allows Jesus the freedom to teach the crowd without people pressing in all around him. And we don't know what Jesus taught in his sermon that day. But we do know that his speech ended with a pretty impressive finale because it says right here, it says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boats so that they began to sink. So here's the scene. Peter, his brother Andrew, and his buddies, they've been fishing all night and they've not caught a thing. And this is frustrating because these are fishermen and I mean, their paychecks are on the line. And uh, many fishermen, or or most of the fishermen today at the Sea of Galilee, I mean, even, even now fish at night. And they fish in the deepest waters out in the middle of the lake because this is where the fish tend to be and where they tend to bite. And right now you got to realize Peter is coming off of a long night with no catches. He's just barely off the shoreline and it's the middle of the day. I mean, the likelihood of him catching any fish at this particular moment is minimal. But Jesus says, Peter, I want you to let down your net. And Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Peter's saying, look, there's no chance I'll catch any fish right now. But nevertheless, Peter continues. He says, but at your word, Jesus, I'll go ahead and let down the nets. But as soon as Peter drops his net into the water, the thing fills with fish. I mean, there's fish everywhere. So many fish that their nets were breaking and their boat was sinking that they had to call over their buddies, James and John, to borrow their boat to hold all the fish. And even it it sunk even that boat. I mean, two boats full of fish. This scene must have been unbelievable. And while it's happening, I'm sure that Peter felt ecstatic in the moment. He's probably thinking of the payday he was about to receive, the bragging rights to all his friends. But his excitement eventually becomes serious and reflective. Because Peter recognizes something about Jesus in this moment. He recognizes that only God could orchestrate something like that. And Peter realizes, perhaps for the first time, that the man standing in the boat with him is indeed the Son of God. And Peter immediately is taken back by the sheer weight of the moment that the Son of God was in his boat talking to him, showing kindness to him. And the story continues. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Now, there are three things I want you to see this morning from this story in Peter's life. And the first is this. The invitation to follow Jesus is for everyone. See, one of the first things we see in Peter's life is just how unimpressive by the world's standards 
Jesus' group of disciples is. I mean, Jesus at this moment in his ministry is collecting his disciples, the people he's going to pour his life into. And in the first century, Jewish rabbis and Jewish teachers, which is essentially what Jesus was, they were incredibly selective with the disciples whom they chose to train and then carry on their teachings for future generations. You see, a rabbi would choose his disciples based on, uh, uh, he would choose those based on who were most capable of learning his teachings and living them out and carrying on his reputation after he died. You see, a rabbi was only, his reputation was only as strong as his disciples. If he picked good disciples, they could make his name great. They can make him look good and he'll be remembered well for generations to come. But if he picked bad disciples, they could, they could really tarnish his name forever. You know, the fact that Peter and Andrew and James and John are adult fishermen is proof that they've already been passed over by every other rabbi in Galilee. I mean, these, were, these men were not considered the brightest. They were not considered to have the most potential. They didn't have well-connected parents. These were average, ordinary, common men with regular flaws and failures. Not only that, you have other disciples like Matthew the tax collector who was a traitor and oppressor to his own people. I mean, that's the worst kind of sinner. And you had Simon the Zealot who was a political radical. I mean, he probably disagreed with all the other disciples on every political issue. But Jesus puts all these guys on his team and he makes them his disciples and he entrusts his teaching, his mission, his very name to this group of regular, unimpressive people. And I don't know if you noticed, but when Peter realized who Jesus was, he said, Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, I think you've got the wrong guy. If you knew who I was, you wouldn't be in my boat right now calling me to follow you. And I love that Jesus doesn't look at him and say, yeah, you know what, right, Peter, you're right. You are a loser. Thanks for letting me know. I'm going to go find somebody else. That's not what he says. Jesus looks at Peter with compassion and says, hey, Peter, follow me. And this is a theme we see all over the Bible, that God's not looking for the most impressive, the best of the best. He's looking for the humble. He's looking for people who can admit their failure and trust Him to make them whole. Jesus Himself said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And listen, I don't know if you need to hear this today, but you may have been tossed around and cast aside by every other person in your life. And you may think that you have no one who believes in you, no one who trusts in you, no one who wants you. But the testimony of Peter says that Jesus loves to invite the ordinary and the passed over to be his prime disciples. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or what other people say or believe about you. God wants you, he loves you, and he is inviting you to know him, follow him, and be his disciple. See, the invitation to follow Jesus is available to anyone who will admit their shortcomings and trust in Jesus to cover their failures. The second thing we see from Peter, his life here is that we must learn to obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. You see, Peter was a skilled and professional fisherman. I mean, he's been fishing all night and he's already cleaning his nets. I mean, he's calling it a day. I mean, the fish weren't biting. Peter knew to call today and try again tomorrow. But then Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, Peter, try it one more time. And for Peter, this made no sense. Peter knew this lake and he knew that this probably wouldn't make a difference. And he said, Master, we toiled all night and we didn't take a thing. But you know what? Because you say so, I let down the nets. You see, Peter obeyed Jesus even when it made 
no sense. And listen, the more I read the Bible and the more I follow Jesus in this life, the more and more I seem to come up against more and more of Jesus' commands. And so often they just don't make any sense. And it feels like if I obey Jesus in certain areas of my life, I feel like I'll miss out or I won't be able to survive. And it's scary sometimes to obey Jesus. Some of you may know the name Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a part of Richard Nixon's inner circle when he was the president. In fact, they called Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, they called him Nixon's hatchet man. And when President Nixon was being investigated during Watergate, you know, all of his cronies, they were scared and they're freaking out and they're fearing for their lives and their futures. And they were worried that they might face jail time or public shame. And there was a lot at stake for these guys, particularly Chuck Colson. And during the, but, you know, during this, uh, the time of this investigation, someone actually shared the message of the gospel with Chuck Colson and he became a follower of Jesus. And as a new Christian, he was reading his Bible and he was learning about how a disciple of Jesus ought to live. And he noticed that there were all these commands about confessing your sin and bringing your sin out of the darkness and into the light. And he knew that if he was going to be faithful to Jesus, he had to obey Jesus even when Jesus' commands were, didn't make any sense. And Chuck Colson actually went to the FBI himself and confessed to crimes that they didn't even know he committed and they weren't even investigating. And because of this, he, not only did he face public shame, but he was sentenced to prison. But during his prison sentence, he continued to read and study his Bible and he began teaching it to other inmates. And God started using him in powerful ways to bless others. And eventually when his sentence was up, he was free and he went back into the world and he began Prison Ministry Fellowship. A prison ministry has been around for years and has reached thousands and thousands of prisoners over the years with the message of Jesus. And it was advocating for prison reform long before it was on everybody else's radar. You see, God told Chuck Colson to confess his sin. And I know that had to be a tough decision, and Colson paid the consequences for it. But God used his obedience to clear the path for what would be Colson's ultimate calling and his greatest impact on the world. Look, obedience to Jesus doesn't always make logical sense when it comes to what's best for our personal lives. But do you trust that God is faithful and that if you will trust Him and obey His commands, that He will lead you into the life that He wants for you. We have to learn to trust Him. We obey Jesus' commands even when they don't make sense. Now, the last thing I want us to see this morning from Peter's life is that Jesus wants to use us. Jesus wants to use you for His glory. It's amazing enough in this story that Jesus would associate with an ordinary guy like Peter. I mean, that gives us hope. That gives hope to all of us ordinary people that God can accept us. I mean, it's incredible that God blessed Peter's obedience by bringing in two boats full of fish. That gives me faith to believe that if I obey Jesus, He'll provide for me. But even more amazing in this story is not that Jesus accepts or welcomes Peter or even blesses Peter. The most amazing part of this story and really of Peter's life is that God wants to use Peter to do great things for His name and His reputation. Jesus said to Simon, he said, and Jesus said to Peter, he said, do not be afraid because from now on you'll be catching men. In the other gospels, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become a fisher of men. Now here's, here's what Jesus is telling Peter. He's saying, Peter, you've been catching fish your whole life, but I'm about to elevate your calling. I'm about to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to use you, Peter, you. 
the ordinary average Joe Peter to be my disciple, to take my message of hope and forgiveness and peace. And I'm going to use you, Peter, to proclaim that message to the world. And because of you, people will know me and they will be caught by my mercy and my grace. Peter, I'm going to use you to bring people to me. What a calling. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he is calling you to this task as well. To live not just for yourself, but to live for the sake of others so that they can know and experience the love of Jesus that you have experienced. You know, when I look back on my life, I think about my college dorm room in 2004 where I had a Peter moment. Where Jesus stepped into my life and said, follow me, Will. And just like Peter, I began following Jesus. And just like Peter, I've had a rocky journey. I've stumbled and I've fallen more times than I want to admit. And the truth is my motives aren't always pure and my shortcomings often get in the way. But man, by God's grace, I've seen Him take my ordinary life and use it far beyond my abilities for His glory and to bring people into His presence. And I I can't believe that. I still can't get over it when someone comes to faith in our church. The thought that God could use me to do something that incredible and life-changing for someone else, it blows me away. And when I look out at our church, I see so many of you. God is using you to bless others. I think of our Crossroads Kids teachers. You may feel so ordinary and unprepared when you show up to teach your class. And maybe you even wonder if all the prep work and the volunteering on Sunday mornings is worth it for you. But man, this week, you know, when I see these videos of our kids dancing to worship music and playing worship music and reading the scriptures, and every night when I pray with my daughters and I hear the questions they're asking about God and I hear the sincerity of their prayers, I just think, Crossroads Kids Leaders, God is using you to help these kids know the love of Jesus. In the last few weeks, also a group of people from our church have made over 500, uh, delivered over 500 meals for people here in Brooklyn. I mean, our team has been able to pray with people. They've been able to share about the love and the generosity of Jesus. God is using men and women in our church to bless our neighbors and bless our city. Listen, I don't care who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, He not only welcomes you and accepts you, He not only blesses your life, but He promises to use whatever you have to offer for His plans and His purposes in the world. Jesus came into this world to pursue you, and He died on the cross to purchase you, and He rose from the dead to give you eternal life, and He sent His Spirit into your life to empower you. Look at me. God loves you. And God has already blessed you in Christ. And now he is calling you to make disciples so that the world will know that he is good. Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it said when Peter heard this, it says he left everything and followed him. And I pray that this will be the story of your life and my life and our lives, that we will leave whatever we need to leave behind so that we can follow Jesus into new life. You know, Peter's story is not over. We're going to study his life over the next several weeks, but he started a new life with Jesus on that day in Galilee. And Peter, as we study, he's going to, we're going to see that he has good days and bad days. But in the end, Jesus is going to use Peter in unbelievable and powerful ways, not because Peter is awesome, but because Jesus is. And this is true for you and me as well. God wants to accept you, bless you, and use you, not because you're great, but because Jesus is. Let me pray for you this morning, church. 
Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your son into this world to love, to accept, to welcome, to bless, and to call people like Peter and people like me and people like us. God, you, it doesn't matter how insignificant or small or unimpressive we feel that our lives are. The testimony of the Scriptures say that you stretch out your hands and you embrace even the worst of sinners and even the most ordinary and unimpressive of people. You welcome us into your family, not because we're great, but because you are. And you said that if we will humble ourselves before you, you will welcome us. And so, God, I pray that we humble ourselves that we confess that we don't have what it takes to save ourselves, but that we trust You to do what only You can do. God, I pray that You use us, not only that You would bless us, but that You would use us to be a blessing to this city, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to our family. God, help us be like Peter and be fishers of men and be a blessing to this world. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.